0: There are quite a number of divisions into which life can be divided, but for the purposes of this evening, I am going to speak of two, the bright side of life and the dark side. In thought, in talk, in action, I think you'll find that you can separate life into these two divisions, the dark side and the bright side, the discouraging side and the encouraging side. You'll find too that there are two classes of people, just as there are two divisions of the subject. There is one class that is schooling itself and constantly training itself to look upon the dark side of life. And there is another class, made up of people who are consciously or unconsciously constantly training themselves to look upon the bright side of life. You will sometimes find two persons who get up in the morning, perhaps a morning that is overcast with shadows, a damp, wet, rainy, uninviting morning. And one of these persons will speak of the morning as being gloomy, will speak of the mud puddles about the house of the rain, and of all the disagreeable features. The second person, the one who has schooled himself to see the brighter side of life, the beautiful things in life, will speak of the beauties that are in the raindrops and in the freshness of the newly bathed flowers, shrubs, and trees. Notwithstanding the gloomy and generally dense, disconsolate appearance of things, he will find something attractive in the scene out of the doors. And we'll discover something in the gloomy morning that will cheer him. So those are the words of Booker T. Washington from the book Character Building. This one's an interesting one because not only does it represent our further study of the wisdom of Booker T. Washington, it's also interesting in that this was a series of lectures that were stitched together in a book format. And these are lessons from over 150 years ago, uh, or just under rather. And these are a series of lectures that were really off the cuff conversations that Booker T. Washington was having with the students at Tuskegee Institute. And some of these were published in the newspaper that the Institute, the students of the Institute, were to have published. And further on, they were then put together in this book format. And so this book was first published in 1902. And what makes this book interesting is that. It's really, you can classify it as a self-help book, judging by the contents of the book. A lot of the themes that are covered in this book are on the value of setting an example for others to follow, the value of having a strong work ethic, being honest, having an appropriate level of uh, importance placed on time management, having a good mindset, the value of having strong character, the value of education having appropriate habits in place. And so you can see, these are all things that you would find in a typical self-help book. But I chose this one because, one, this feels in theme with something you and I have studied, which is the longer something's been around, the longer it's likely to be around. So given that this book was published over 100 years ago, and yet the themes still are relevant today, it feels appropriate for you and I to study and learn from the wisdom of Booker T. Washington. So let's jump in. The way the book is written is that it is a series of lectures that are stitched together, and each lecture follows a main theme. However, the book itself is a series of these lectures that were delivered at some point in time, and the book doesn't necessarily have a cohesive narrative structure unlike the autobiography or a what a typical biography would have been written like. Nonetheless, this is still a continuation of lessons we can learn from. So jumping into the book, the first chapter talks about the two sides of life, the bright side and the dark side. And I think it's really Booker T teaching us the importance of optimism, not necessarily blind optimism, but just having optimism. And some practical advice from Booker T. Washington is grow into the habit of talking about the bright side of life. When you meet a fellow student, a teacher, or anybody, or when you write letters home, get into the habit of calling attention to the bright things of life that you have seen. The things that are beautiful, the things that are charming. Just in proportion as you do this, you will find that you will not only influence yourself in the right direction, but that you will also influence others that way. And so that's Booker T sharing with us why it's important to remain optimistic in that it's not just about influencing you, but you also have a tremendous amount of influence on others around you, not just in your words, but also in your actions. And to the degree that you can convey optimism, that conveys a powerful set of influences that will carry on with other people. And I think it's also, so on a separate note, I want to mention that frequently he will refer to the audience as the students at Tuskegee. And so when he's talking about meeting fellow students, understand that the audience of these lectures are students at the Institute. In the second chapter, it's titled Helping Others. And the entire chapter, as it's titled, is on the value of service. So i want to pull out these two bits, which will Tie nicely together. I want you to go out into the world, not to have an easy time, but to make sacrifices and to help somebody else. There are those who need your help and your sacrifice. You may be called upon to sacrifice a great deal. The more you do to make somebody else happy, the more happiness you will receive in turn. If you want to be happy, if you want to live a contented life, if you want to live a life of genuine pleasure, do something for somebody else. When you feel unhappy, disagreeable, and miserable to someone else who is miserable and to that person an act of kindness, you will find that you will be made, made happy. Um, That feels confusing. I think what he's generally trying to say is that when you're unhappy and you're m- miserable, going out of your way to Make somebody else happy, particularly ones that are in need of happiness. Somebody else who's miserable will make you in turn happy. Further on, or rather, continuing. The miserable persons in this world are the ones whose hearts are narrow and hard. The happy ones are those who have great big hearts. Such persons are always happy. Next up is a chapter called Some of the Rocks Ahead. And this is on the value of being prepared for hard times, or in some ways it's an embodiment, and Booker T's embodiment of stoic values and stoic form of thinking. And it starts with a maxim that Booker T quotes here. Do not look for trouble is a safe maxim to follow, but it is equally safe to prepare for trouble. Now I repeat, it is the wise individual who prepares himself beforehand for the day of difficulties for the day of discouragements, for the rainy day. It is the wise individual who makes up his mind that life is not going to be all sunshine, that all is not going to be perpetual pleasure. Make up your minds then that you are going to find difficulties in your room. In reference to your roommates, the heat, the cold, and any number of things that concern your stay in the buildings. So I I fast forward there a bit, but in this context he's really talking about And talking to students. And if you remember from last week, the Tuskegee Institute was started from really very, very humble beginnings in that the first building wasn't really even a building. When Booker T was starting out teaching, it was a rundown. You can think of it as a shed in which it would constantly rain inside the building. And so to the point where a student would have to hold an umbrella over him. And through the years, the Institute grew to a point where, and, and some of this was an embodiment of the philosophy of Booker T through this notion of industrial education, where the students were expected to do the work of building the Institute that they were studying at. And as he's talking about braving the cold, the heat, that's really because these buildings weren't necessarily meant for comfort. And they really were built by the students themselves. And frequently, Booker T would talk to the students that. And so when he's talking about make up your minds that you're going to find difficulties in your room, what he's referring to there is for the students to be prepared for the difficulties that come with their stay, and to try and see and detach themselves to see a higher purpose in their circumstances. So continuing on. But in all these manners, keep in mind the higher purpose which you came here, to get an education, get that thought into your heart and body, and it will enable you to master all these little things, all these minor and temporary obstacles. And so that's refer, Booker T referring to the minor obstacles or the inconveniences that come with the way the room is, the, the, the temperature, and any any number of things that one would find at the Tuskegee Institute early on. Further on, I want you to see, as I think you will see, that having a hard time, running up against difficulties here and there, helps to make an individual strong and also helps to make him powerful. This is the point I want to make with you that one of the reasons you are here is that you may learn to overcome difficulties. I have named some that you may expect to meet, but I have not named them all. They will keep springing up all the time. Just in proportion as you learn to rise above them and trample them under your feet, just in that proportion will you accomplish the high purpose for which you came here and help to accomplish the purpose for which this institution exists. Last week, you and I studied the wisdom that was contained in Up From Slavery. And one of my favorite quotes from it is rather short. But it ties very directly to what Booker T. just mentioned here. And I'll read this to you from Up From Slavery from Booker T. Success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome. And I pull that out because that's exactly what Booker T. is encouraging here in that your capacity to learn and rise above any obstacles Is the capacity in which you will go on to actually achieve meaningful things. Next is a chapter on influencing by example and the value that Booker T places on being engaged constantly. So I want to read to you. First, now when you go out into the world for yourselves, he's talking about students here, you must remember that in the first place that you cannot hold yourself up unless you keep engaged and out of idleness. No idle person is ever safe, whether he be rich or poor. Make up your minds, whether you are to live in the city or in the country, that you are going to be constantly employed. And the reason for it is, you cannot set proper examples unless you yourself are constantly employed. See to it, then, when you live in a city, a town, or in a country district, that you are constantly employed when you are not engaged in the proper kind of recreation or in rest. Unless you do this, you will find that you will go down as thousands of our young men have gone down, as thousands of young men are constantly going down to who yield to the temptations which beset them. And then some practical advice on what this means. Refrain from staking your earnings upon games of chance. See to it that you pass by those things which tend to your degradation. Teach this to others. Teach those with whom you come in contact that they cannot lead strong, moral lives unless they keep away from the gambling table. See to it that you regulate your life properly, that you regulate your hours of sleep. And then he ends with, I want you as you go out from this institution, whether you are graduates or not, whether you have been here one year or four years, to go out with the idea that you must set a high example for everyone in your community. You must remember that people are watching you every day. If you yield to the temptation of strong drink, of going into bad company, others will do the same thing. They will shape their lives after yours. You must so shape your lives That the hundreds and thousands of those who are looking to you for guidance may profit by your example. And that's Booker T. on the value of setting the right conduct and having influence through example. Next up is a chapter on the virtue of simplicity from Booker T. Some people get the idea if they can get a little education and a little money ahead and can talk so that no one can understand them, they are educated. This is a great mistake because nobody understands them and they do not understand themselves. Now, the world has no sympathy with that kind of thing. If you have anything to write, write it in the plainest manner possible. Use just as few words as possible and as simple words as possible. If you can get a word with one syllable that will express your meaning, use it in preference to one of two syllables. If you cannot get a suitable word of one syllable, try to get one of two syllables instead of three or four. At any rate, make your words just as short as possible and your sentences as short and simple as you can make them. There is great power in simplicity. Simplicity of speech, simplicity of life in every form. The world has no patience with people who are superficial, who are trying to show off, who are trying to be what the world knows they are not. I love that. That's Booker T. And to use uh, an expression from Mark Twain, don't use a $5 word when a 50 cent one will do. And that's exactly what Booker T is teaching us right there when he is advocating for making everything simple as possible, including the manner of speech, the manner of writing, and trying to be effective instead of trying to show off. Okay. I really like this next chapter. It's called Have You Done Your Best? But I think it goes beyond that. I think it's really a call for self reflection. And I want to stitch together a series of paragraphs, which I think do a nice job of getting the key points across, starting from Booker T. Now, suppose you were tonight sitting down by your parents' side, by their fireside looking them in the face or by the side of your nearest and dearest friends, those who have done the most for you, those who have stood by you most closely. Suppose you are in that position. I want to ask you to answer this question in considering your school life, in your studies, for example. During the year thus far, have you done your best? I fear that a great many of you, when you look your conscience squarely in the face, When you get right down to your real selves, at the bottom of your lives, must answer that you have not done your best. There have been precious minutes, there have been precious hours that you have completely thrown away, hours for which you cannot show a single return. Have you done your best in the sewing room and in the cooking classes? Have you justified your parents in the sacrifice of time and money which they have made in order to allow you to come here? If you haven't done your best in these respects, and many of you haven't, there is still time for you to become a different man or woman. It isn't too late. You can turn yourselves completely around. Those of you who have been indifferent and slow, those of you who have been thoughtless and slovenly, those of you who have tried to find out how little effort of body or mind you could put into in your industrial work here, it isn't too late for you to turn yourselves completely around in that respect. And to say that from tonight, you're going to be a different man or woman. And pausing there, I think this is, um, in in, in words, I, I really appreciate just how direct Booker T is throughout this book. And in the same ways that he encourages us to speak plainly and speak directly and and be efficient with our speech and not try to sound too fancy. He really lives and embodies his own message that he's articulating. And what he's articulating here or what he's encouraging us to think about here, as he said so far, is are you able to look at yourself and really be honest with your use of time? Have you managed time? Are you able to look at the efforts that you've put in and say with good conscience that you've given it your best? And that's a tough one. It's a tough one in that if we go, if you and I go through the same exercise, it's a, and if we were to do it honestly, it's one that I don't know that very many of us will be pleased unless we've made the diligent and intentional effort to really be intentional with the way we use our time. Continuing further, have you tried to slide out of it, or as it were, to get by, as the slang phrase goes, without doing really honest, straightforward work? And then lastly, in a word, I want you to get a hold of this idea that you can make the future of your lives just what you want to make it. You can make it bright, happy, useful if you learn this fundamental lesson and stick to it while in school or after you go away from here. That it doesn't pay any individual to do any less than his very best. It doesn't pay to be anything else but downright honest in heart. Any person who is not honest, who is not trying to do his very best in the classroom or in the shop, no matter where he may be, will find out that it does not pay in the long run. You may think it best for a little while, but permanently... It does not pay any man or woman to be anything but really downright honest and to do his or her level best. Next is a lesson for Booker T on the value of persevering and not being discouraged. But first from the book. Very many people, very many students who otherwise would succeed, who would go through school creditably, graduating with honors, have failed to succeed because they became discouraged. I believe that every effort that we are obliged to make to overcome obstacles will give us strength and will also give us a confidence in ourselves that nothing else can give us. That was a long one. I want, to, <laughs> I want to read that to you again. I believe that every effort that we are obliged to make to overcome obstacles will give us strength and will also give us confidence in ourselves and that nothing else can give us. So I think what he's saying there is that in a a long way that nothing can give more confidence than you and I going through the effort of overcoming obstacles. Okay, continuing. I would 10 times rather see you having a hard struggle to elevate yourselves, having a hard time either at work on the farm, or on the buildings, or in the shops, without money and without clothes, than to see you here having too much money and having everything that you want to come to you without any effort on your part. And that's quite pointed advice. Or really, it's, it's encouragement on, no matter the circumstances that we're going through, there's a lot of value that comes in overcoming obstacles. And I don't think you have to look too far. I think, if anything, you can just look at individuals, people that have been given everything that they need to be successful. You look at a lot of um, children of rich parents, children of highly influential people who come from a place of having everything handed to them, and yet you see them struggle. And that's because there's, like Booker T says, a lot of confidence to be gained from going through trials and tribulations, going through the struggle and coming out for the better and coming out even stronger. And so this chapter ends. Every person who has grown to any degree of usefulness, every person who has grown to distinction, almost without exception, has been a person who has risen by overcoming obstacles, by removing difficulties, by resolving that when he met discouragements, he would not give up. Make up your minds that you are going to overcome every discouragement and that you are not going to let any discouragement overcome you. Those of you who have been inclined to be moody and morose, or have been inclined to feel that the whole world is against you, that there is no use for you to try to elevate yourselves, make up your minds that your future is just as bright as that of anybody else. Do this, and you will find that you have it in your own power to make your future bright or gloomy, just as you desire. And so those words, I think, really connect well to how the book starts off, which is that there's two sides to life. You can choose to look at the bright side and structure your life such that that's always at the forefront and you position yourself to be optimistic and take the optimistic view and take the optimistic attitude, or you can choose to be on the dark side and be morose, be gloomy and be pessimistic in your attitude and your approach to life. If I were to characterize Booker T's end state, or the point he's trying to get across, not only from these lectures, but also the education that's being taught at Tuskegee, it's that there's dignity in labor, which is number one, and it's that education carries far more weight beyond the walls in which it's taught at Tuskegee. And what I mean by that is that it would be a failing if education stopped the moment the students left the Institute of Tuskegee. And this next chapter, titled The Value of System in Home Life, does a illustrative job of what I'm referring to here. Let's start with words from Booker T to get an understanding of what I mean there. From Booker T. Most of you are going out from Tuskegee sooner or later to exert your influence in the home life of your people. You are going to have influence in homes of your own. You are going to have influence in the homes of your mothers and fathers or in the homes of your relatives. You are going to exert an influence for good or for evil in the homes wherever you may go. Now the question how to bring about the greatest amount of happiness in these homes is one that should concern every student here. I say this because I want you to realize that each one of you is to go out from here to exert an influence. You are to exercise this influence in the communities where you go. And if you fail to exercise it for the good of other individuals, you have failed to accomplish the purpose for which this institution exists. And so what he's saying there is that a measure of success for the education that the students are receiving at Tuskegee is how much good are they doing in life in service of other people? And some of this is going to come about through indirect influence and sometimes also direct influence. And if the students fail to exercise influence for the good of others, then in the words of Booker T, they will have failed the purpose for why. Tuskegee was stood up in the first place. Further on. I want to speak plainly. In the first place, there must be promptness in connection with everything in the life of the home. Take the matter of the meals, for instance. It is impossible for a home to be properly conducted unless there is a certain time for each meal, and promptness must be insisted on. In some homes, the breakfast may be eaten at 6 o'clock one morning, at 8 o'clock the next morning, and perhaps at 9 o'clock the morning after that. Dinner may be served at 12, 1, or 2 o'clock. And supper may be eaten at 5, 6, or 7. And even then, one half of the members of families are absent when the meal is served. There is useless waste of time and energy in this, and an unnecessary amount of worry. It saves time, and it saves a great amount of worry, to have it understood that there is to be a certain time for each meal and that all the members of the family are to be present at the time. In this way, the family will get rid of a great deal of annoyance, and precious time will be saved to be used in reading or in some other useful occupation. I don't really know that I've heard that put anywhere else, <laughs> as obvious as it, may, as it may sound. This idea that if there is consistency in even something as simple, for lack of a better word, as meal times and having that structure in a way allows the entire family to save time for more important matters. This is really the first time I've personally heard this put into into words directly. It's one that I think I'll have to think about some more and that I can't I personally can't say that I I embody the lessons that Booker T is imparting on us here. I'm certainly guilty in my own family of not having consistent meals. So I don't know what that says about me. And on the theme of having systems in place in home, this also applies to where you store things. And so you can imagine if you're constantly looking for things, then that's also going to take time away from valuable activities. So from the book, when things are out of place and you have to hunt for them, you're spending not only time, but you're spending strength that should be used in some more profitable way, meaning for reading or some other occupation or useful task. The people who have a place for everything are the people who will find time to read and who will have time for recreation. And so what I take that to mean is that all the small things add up. And so if you're constantly losing things, if you're constantly having to look for things, then that's going to lead to consistently feeling like you just don't have time to do the things that you want to do. Next up is a chapter called What Will Pay. And it's an interesting one because the chapter talks about or starts off with questions that students at Tuskegee have for Booker T, which is, what kind of career should I go into? What kind, of, what kind of calling should I take on in order to earn money? And the advice and the lessons that Booker T imparts on the students feels quite counterintuitive, but we will understand it to actually make sense. And I'll jump right in. And this is further on in the chapter. Whenever you promise, moreover, to do a piece of work for a man, there is a contract binding you to do an honest day's labor, and the man to pay you for an honest day's labor. If you fail to give such service, if you break that contract, you'll find that such course of action never pays. It will never pay you to deal dishonestly with an individual, or to permit dishonest dealing. If you fail to give a full honest day's work, If you know that you have done only three quarters of a day's work, or four fifths, it may seem to you at the time that it has paid, but in the long run, you lose by it. And what I mean by counterintuitive in that is that the students were expecting something more concrete of, concrete advice of a career path to go in, but Booker T takes this opportunity, as the book is titled, in Installing the Importance of Having the Right Conduct, right character, as that's far more important in the long run. Further on, character is a power. If you want to be powerful in the world, if you want to be strong, influential, and useful, you can be so in no better way than by having strong character. You may go out and make great speeches. You may write books or addresses which are great literature. But unless you have character behind what you say and write, it will amount to nothing. It will all go to the winds. Further on in the book, these next couple chapters are all on the importance of education, but also viewing education through the right lens. And I think these are probably some of my favorite moments from the book. And these were all connected together in some capacity and a lot that you and I can learn from. So I want to do my best to stitch together these lessons. So let's jump in. The first chapter that we'll be covering is one called The Highest Education, and it starts with Booker T. articulating. We are apt to get the idea that education means the memorizing of a number of dates, of being able to state when a certain battle took place, of being able to recall with accuracy this event or that event. We are likely to get the impression that education consists in being able to commit to memory a certain number of rules in grammar, a certain number of rules in arithmetic, and in being able to locate correctly on the earth's surface this mountain or that river, and to name this lake and that gulf. Now, I do not mean to disparage the value of this kind of training, because among the things that education should do for us is to give us a strong, orderly, well-developed mind. I do not wish to have you get the idea that I undervalue or overlook the strengthening of the mind. If there is one person more than another who is to be pitied, it is the individual who is all heart and no head. You will see numbers of persons going through the world whose hearts are full of good things running over with the wish to do something to make somebody better or the desire to make somebody happier they have made the sad mistake of being absolutely without develop of mind to go with this willingness of heart. We want the development of the mind and we want the strengthening of the mind. I have often said to you that one of the best things that education can do for an individual is to teach that individual to get a hold of what he wants. So I'm going to pause there. Uh, There's a lot to unpack there. Part of why I love this message from Booker T is that it really turns on its head on the value of education and looking at education from a different vantage point, which, just as he suggests, it's not about memorizing from the textbook. It's not about being able to recall exactly and parrot exactly what a teacher tells us, but rather, ultimately, are you able to get what you want out of life? Are you able to get a hold of what you want? and navigate through the difficulties of life. And that's really what Booker T is encouraging us here. Somebody I've referenced on this podcast a number of times is a guy by the name of Naval Ravikant. He is a well-known venture capitalist. The profession doesn't really matter. What I find compelling about him is he's able to distill a lot of wisdom through bite-sized tweets. And one of the tweets that I really like from him is, uh, it goes... The only real test of intelligence is if you get what you want out of life. And I really was gravitated, or I, was, I, I thought of that tweet immediately because I've been guilty of thinking intelligence is the end-all end be-all. When in reality, they, there's a lot of ways to view intelligence. It's not just about raw intellect power. It's not about being clever. And one way of, I think, not only measuring success, measuring intelligence, and in Booker T's words, measuring your capacity to be educated, is have you gone through life able to get what you want? If you're striving for happiness, if you're striving for whatever it is, if you're striving for money, if you're striving for influence, were you able to get it? And that's, I think, such a powerful and counterintuitive way of measuring or evaluating the success of education, the success of intelligence, or your capacity to do, have done things in life. Okay, continuing. But, after all, this kind of thing is not the end in education. What then do we mean by education? I would say that education is meant to give us an idea of truth. Whatever we get out of textbooks, whatever we get out of industry, To pause there, there's probably going to be a couple times in which the word industry is used. You can think of that as just your capacity to work. Uh, This is a word even Ben Franklin uses as a virtue. Industry, you can just think of it as work. Okay. Whatever you get out of industry, whatever you get here and there from any sources, if we do not get the idea of truth at the end, we do not get education. I do not care how much you get out of history or geography or algebra or literature. I do not care how much you got out of all your textbooks unless you have got truth. You have failed in your purpose to be educated. I'm going to read that again. I do not care how much you got out of all your textbooks unless you have gotten truth. You have failed in your purpose to be educated. Unless you get the idea of truth so pure that you cannot be false in anything, your education is a failure. Further on, education is meant to make us change for the better to make us more thoughtful, to make us so broad that we will not seek to help one man because he belongs to this race or that race of people and seek to hinder on man because he does not belong to this race or that race of people. Education in the broadest and truest sense will make an individual seek to help all people, regardless of race, regardless of color, regardless of condition. And you will find that the person who is most truly educated is the one who is going to be the kindest and is going to act in the gentlest manner towards people who are unfortunate, towards the race or the individual who is most despised. The highly educated person is the one who is most considerate of those individuals who are less fortunate. Education is meant to make us absolutely honest in dealing with our fellows. I don't care how much Arithmetic we have, or how many cities we can locate. It is all useless unless we have an education that makes us absolutely honest. And so, to recap, there's a couple things that Booker T means by being educated. Number one is your capacity to get what you want out of life. Number two is the capacity to seek truth. Number three is to change ourselves for the better and, more importantly, help others especially individuals that may be less fortunate than us. Number four is the capacity to be honest. And then two more. First, education is meant to give us satisfaction and to give satisfaction out of giving it. It is meant to make us get happiness out of service for our fellows. And until we get to the point where we can get happiness and supreme satisfaction out of it, Out of helping our fellows, we are truly not educated. Education is meant to make us generous. And then lastly, education is meant to make us appreciate the things that are beautiful in nature. A person is never educated until he's able to go into the swamps and woods and see something that is beautiful in the trees and shrubs there. Is able to see something beautiful in the grass and flowers that surround him. Is in short able to see something beautiful and elevating and inspiring in everything that God has created. Not only should education enable us to see the beauty in these objects which God has put above us, but it is meant to influence us to bring beautiful objects about us. And as you can see, there's a lot of wisdom packed in there in how Booker T encourages us to think about education. Extending on some of these ideas that we just heard from Booker T. You and I have learned from a number of individuals in the past on the value of putting into practice what we're learning. And Booker T also encourages us to do the same in that any knowledge that we gain is only as applicable and useful to the degree that we actually put it into practice. And so let's hear from Booker T on that very point. If you're studying chemistry, be sure you get all you can out of the course here. And then go to a higher school somewhere else. Become as proficient in the science as you can. When you have done this, do not sit down and wait for the world to honor you because you know a great deal about chemistry. You will be disappointed if you do. But if you wish to make the best use of your knowledge of chemistry, come back here to the South and use it in making this poor soil rich and in making good butter where the farmers have made poor butter before. Used in this way, you will find that your knowledge of chemistry will cause others to honor you. I think that's a beautiful lesson there. I think what he's trying to say here is that don't let your ego seek out education for the purpose of status because ultimately it isn't the fact that you've stored up this knowledge that's going to make yourself useful and and receive honors but what is it ultimately that you've serviced put into service? who have you served and unless you put That knowledge and that education to practice to improve the lives of individuals. You're not going to get that recognition, and the people will only recognize you to the degree that you've made their lives better. And I think I think that's a beautiful encouragement by Booker T, and a and a reminder that ultimately it's the practice and the application of education that matters a great deal more. Okay, further on in this chapter. I hope you have understood me in what I have been trying to say of these little things. They all tend to show that if we are to keep pace with the progress of civilization, we must pay attention to the small things as well as the larger and more important things in life. They go to prove that we must put brains into what we do. If education means anything at all, it means putting brains into common affairs of life and making something of them. That is just what we are seeking to tell to the world through the work of this institution. And so that's a bit confusing, but I think what he's trying to say here is that really Booker T is encouraging us to whatever tasks that we're doing, especially if it's a byproduct of the education that we received, don't sleepwalk our way into these tasks, meaning don't just repeat the same task over and over without having actually put your mind into learning and continuing to get better at the task, whether it's your life's calling, whether it's the profession that you've chosen to engage in, whatever it is, go beyond your initial approach and further on. And so you'll find it all through life. Those persons who are going to be constantly sought after, constantly in demand, are those who make the best use of their opportunities, who work unceasingly to become Proficient in whatever they attempt to do. Always be sure that you have something out of which you can make a living, and then you will not only be independent, but you will be in a much better position to help your fellow men. Okay, I'm going to push us on further in the book, and we're still going to stick to the theme of education and the value of putting it to practice. The things that we're learning, and so from this chapter, it starts off. Booker T starts off. This evening, I'm going to remind you of a few things which you should get out of the school year, but it'll be of very little use for me to do this unless you make up your mind to do two things. In the first place, you must resolve that you're going to remember the things I'm going to say. And in the second place, you must put my suggestions into practice. If you will make up your minds, then you are going to hold on to these suggestions so far as your memory is concerned, and then so far as possible, put them into practice. We shall be able to discuss something that will be of profit to you during the year. And so, continuing, I want you to get it firmly fixed in the minds that books, industries, or tools of any character, no matter how thoroughly you master them, do not within themselves constitute education. Committing to memory pages of written matter or becoming deft in the handling of tools is not the supreme thing which education aims. Books, tools, and industries are but the means to fit you for something that is higher and better. All of these are not the ends within themselves. They are merely means. The end of all education, whether of head or hand or heart, is to make an individual good, to make him useful, to make him powerful, is to give him goodness, usefulness, and power in order that he may exert a helpful influence upon his fellows. And that's a continuation of the theme that Booker T continues to iterate and reiterate over and over, which is, it doesn't matter what you're able to parrot back, and it doesn't matter what your skill set is. If you're not able to have an influence on individuals outside of yourself, then in his words, he will have failed of what he's trying to accomplish with the Tuskegee Institute. And beyond that, beyond even his own objectives, I think what he's really trying to tell us here is that in all the ways that we've heard about how education isn't what you and I would think to be just based on I don't know. I think in in a lot of ways like I didn't succeed in the standard edu- educational track. Um I wasn't mm-hmm. the best student. And I think a lot of it is because I tried to approach it in the way that is common um in the way that we're encouraged which is to memorize and which is to not see beyond the immediate use of the things that we're learning and and I think that's part of why I I, I didn't succeed in the standard track of education. I wasn't necessarily a straight-A student by any means, and I didn't necessarily bring forth the effort that I probably at at times that I wish I had. But reading the words of Booker T, it's inspiring in that he's really teaching us that no matter where we are in in life, there's a lot we can learn, and there's a lot we can continue to to learn. But there's so much value in thinking beyond yourself and thinking about the influence that you have on the world. Okay, further continuing. If there is any one lesson that we all of us need to have impressed upon more thoroughly and more constantly than any other, it is that each minute of our lives is of supreme value and that we are committing a sin when we allow a single minute to go to waste. Remember that every five minutes of time you are spending at this institution is worth so much money to you. How many people there are who, after they have arrived at the ages of 60, 70, or 80 years, look back with the regret and say, I wish I could live the years over again. But they cannot. All they can do is regret that they have wasted precious minutes, precious hours. Powerful. It's powerful stuff. Continuing. Among other things, you should get out of the year the habit of reading. Any individual has learned to love good books, to love the best newspapers, the best magazines, and has learned to spend some portion of the day in communication with them is a happy individual. You should get yourselves to the point where you'll not be happy unless you do spend a part of each day in this way. Love that on the value of reading. I think one one interesting point there is that I I really uh, find it interesting and striking that he's saying that as you're reading you're in communication with them. And we should spend a little bit of time there because what Booker T is saying there, or likely is we can learn from that, is that reading isn't a passive activity of just staring at the words. By communication, I think there's two things that's happening there. One is that you should be asking yourselves questions as you're reading. How does this relate to the things that I already know? Does this make sense in the context of any other setting? And in addition to a bunch of other questions that may come up. And then the second is, how can I apply what it is that I'm learning to my own life? Because as you and I have learned multiple times from a number of books that we've studied and wisdom we picked up, learning is changing behavior, and ultimately, if we're not actually taking the application, if we're not actually applying what we're learning in pursuit of changing our own behavior, we're not truly learning. And so that is what I think he, that Booker T means when he's saying that as you spend time reading, you're in communication with them, communication in that you're having a back and forth dialogue. And it's not a one-sided discussion or a one-sided pursuit of just consuming words. Okay, further continuing. You want to have that kind of courage that is going to make you speak the truth at all times, no matter what it may seem to cost you. This may, for the time being, seem to make you unpopular. It may inconvenience you. It may deprive you of something you count dear. But the individual who cultivates that kind of courage, who at the cost of everything, always speaks the truth. It is this individual who in the end will be successful is the one who in the end will come out the conqueror. And that's Booker T. on the value of speaking the truth. By the way, if if it seems like these lessons are all stitched together in this chapter haphazardly, it's because this chapter is called Some Lessons of the Hour, and it really is a reiteration of a bunch of themes that he's spoken throughout the book. And so in this lecture, and then this recital, it truly is, as the title implies, Some Lessons. And a bit further, I just found this statement to carry a lot of meaning on its own, so I'll read this. Put your whole souls into whatever you attempt to do. That is honesty. And then lastly, another thing you should learn this year is to get into touch with the best people there are in the world. You should learn to associate with the best student in the institution. Take them as models and say that you are going to improve from the month to month and from year to year until you are as good as they are, or better. You cannot reach these things all at once, but I hope that one of you will make up his mind or her mind that from tonight, throughout the year and throughout life, there is going to be a hard striving on your part toward reaching the best results. If you do this, when you get ready to leave this institution, you will find that it has been worth your while to have spent your time here. And I take that to mean that's Booker T. encouraging us to surround ourselves with people we admire. And the reason for it is that when we are surrounded by individuals that we do admire, we cannot help but want to measure up to those individuals. And also see this in the value of reading biographies. And in fact, if you recall from last week when we studied the autobiography of Booker T. Washington, he's a big-time reader of biographies. He cites Abraham Lincoln as someone that's a, I believe in, the word, in his words, called him a patron saint. And he read every single article, book that he could get a hold of on Abraham Lincoln. But in the same way that he's encouraging us to get in touch with the best people there are around us, biographies is our effort of getting in touch with the best people in history and the pursuit of doing so and in the pursuit of applying the learnings that we are taking away from these biographies, we in turn hope to measure up in our own ways. There's actually a sentence that I want to pull out. So in the introduction, the introduction to this edition was uh, written by somebody else, and there's a quote that I was gravitated to, which I want to read to you. The biographies of historical figures are not just gray documents, as the biography police would have you believe. They are our best chance to understand ourselves by virtue of whom we allow to lead us. I like that a lot. They are our best chance to understand ourselves by virtue of whom we allow to lead us. Okay, so a bit ago we heard from Booker T on the importance of putting your brain to work in the efforts that we're taking. So I want to pull this out which does I think a better job of articulating than what I probably did from the book. The question for us is are we going to put so many brains into our efforts every year that we are going to go on steadily and constantly improving from year to year? Are you going to get into the habit of so thinking about your work here that the habit will become as it were a part of yourself so that when you go out into the world you will not be satisfied to take a position and go in the same humdrum manner, but will not be satisfied until your work has been improved in every possible detail and made easier, more systematic, and more convenient. We must put brains into our work. There's also some lessons on having the right set of habits and there's a There's a series of habits that Booker T encourages us to or rather his students to take part in the importance of regular baths, brushing teeth, taking care of your body, trimming nails, regular haircuts, and having the right wardrobe or have maintaining a wardrobe, not necessarily the right wardrobe but rather i then get into all of these habits, there are a couple of things I want to pluck out: one is in the way that habits are defined from the book some person has defined man as a bundle of habits short and sweet i wanted to read that out because i hadn't heard that before man as a bundle of habits and then on the value of having a habit of reading maintaining a habit of reading and then in conclusion so order your lives that you can form the habit of reading Set aside a certain amount of time each day, even if it not be more than four or five minutes for reading and studying aside from your lessons. Read books of travel, history, and biography. I want you to patronize the library this year as never before. In it are a great number of books by authors of the highest rank. Be regular in all your habits. Have a regular time for studying, for recreation, and for sleeping. And last, but far from least... Set aside a regular time for thinking, for meditating with yourself. Take yourself up, pick yourself to pieces, see wherein you're weak and need strengthening. Analyze yourself. Get rid, as it were, of all the weights that have been holding you back. And resolve at the end of each week that you will walk upon your dead selves of the week before. If you go on making that kind of progress, you will find at the end of nine months That you are stronger in everything essential to good manhood and good womanhood. That's Booker T on the importance of self-renewal and reflection and having time to really reflect on where you and I can continue to get better. And on the theme of habit building, I going to read to you on the importance of stability and pursuing something for a long period of time from the book. I'm going to speak with you for a few minutes this evening upon the matter of stability. I want you to understand when you start out in school that no individual can accomplish anything unless he means to stick to what he undertakes. No matter how many possessions he may have, no matter how much he may have in this or that direction, no matter how much learning or skill of hand he may possess, an individual cannot succeed unless, at the same time, He possesses the quality which will enable him to stick to what he undertakes. In a word, he is not to be jumping from this thing to that thing. You are going to be greatly discouraged sometimes. But if you will heed the lesson of fighting out what you have undertaken, that same disposition will follow you all through life. And you will get a reputation because people will say of you that there is a person who sticks to whatever he or she undertakes. One of the saddest things in life is to see an individual who has grown to old age with no profession, with no calling from which he is sure of getting independent living. It is sad to see such individuals without money, without homes in their old age, simply because they did not learn the lesson of saving money and getting for themselves a beautiful home when they ought to have done this. And so, all through life, we can point to many people who have not learned this lesson that whatever they undertake, they must pay the price which the world asks of them, if they would succeed. If we are to succeed, we trust pay the price that we get. And he who accomplishes the most, accomplishes it in a humble and straightforward way. By sticking to what he has undertaken, he who does this finds in the end that he has achieved a tremendous success. That's Booker T on the value and importance of sticking to something for a long period of time and not getting distracted by one thing or another and chasing after and moving from one thing to the next. Next up, we have a lecture titled Individual Responsibility, and you'll understand what this means by Booker T's insistence and reminder that your actions carry far more weight than beyond just how it impacts you. Let's first hear from Booker T. You ought to realize that your actions will not affect yourselves alone. In this age, it is almost impossible for a man to live for himself alone. On every side, our lives touch those of others. Their lives touch ours. Even if it were possible to live otherwise, few would wish to do so. A narrow life, a selfish life, is almost sure to be not only unprofitable, but unhappy. The happy people and the successful people are those who go out of their way to reach and influence for good as many persons as they can. In order to do this though, in order best to fit oneself to live this kind of life, it is important that certain habits be acquired. And an essential one is that the habit of realizing one's responsibility to others. Your actions will affect other people in one way or another and you will be responsible for the result. You ought always to remember this and govern yourself accordingly. Suppose it is a matter of the recitation of a lesson, for instance. So by recitation, I think what he's referring, and we heard this even from his autobiography, I think what he's referring to is, um, well, I can only infer that it means that back in the day in the year 1900, when this was written, the way students were taught was by oral recitation, meaning whatever you were taught, you're expected to recite out loud. Sometimes immediately, sometimes later on the following day. And your ability to commit to memory the things that you have learned or the things that you have been taught is uh, what he's referring to as oral, oral recitation or the recitation. Anyway, back to the book. Suppose it is a matter of the recitation of a lesson, for instance. Some one may say, it is nobody's business but my own if I fail a recitation. Nobody will suffer but me. This is not so. Indirectly, you injure your teachers also. For while a conscientious, hardworking teacher ought not to be blamed for the failures of pupils who do not learn simply because they do not want to or are too lazy to try, it is generally the case that a teacher's reputation gains or loses as his or her class averages High or low. The same thing is true of work in the industrial departments. Too many students try to see how easily they can get through the day or the work period, yet not get into trouble. Or, even if they take more interest than this, they care for their work only for the sake of what they can get out of it themselves, either as pay or as instruction which will enable them to work for pay at some later time. And further on, The world is looking for men and women who can tell one why they can do this thing or that thing, how a certain difficulty was surmounted or a certain obstacle removed. But the world has little patience with a man or woman who takes no real interest in the performance of a duty, or who runs against a snag and gets discouraged, and then simply tells why he did not do a thing and gives and gives excuses instead of results. Opportunities never come a second time nor do they wait for our leisure. The years come to us but once, and they come and then only pass swiftly on, bearing the ineffable record we have put upon them. If we wish to make them beautiful years or profitable years, we must do it moment by moment as they glide before us. So there, there's a lot to unpack there. I think the essence of what Booker T is imparting on us is just the value of, well, first of all, the value that comes with being the type of person that is, is able to overcome obstacles and relentlessly pursue the, the task at hand that you've been given and not make excuses for it. Because in his words, and I think this is true, opportunities don't come all that often. And to the degree that you're able to take a task at hand and, and do it to the best of your ability, you set a view that others have for yourself and that you are viewed as somebody that can get things done. And that gives you and grants you more opportunities in the future. And then on the point of doing things moment by moment, what he's saying there is that we really don't get opportunities all that often. And so if we, if we just wait around and let them pass by, we're just letting them slip by. And that when we when we encounter opportunities, we should tackle them and, and face them head-on. And the only way to face them head-on is to do it in the moment. We'll end on this. We frequently hear the word lucky used with reference to a man's life. Two boys start out in the world at the same time, having the same amount of education. When 20 years have passed, we find one of them wealthy and independent. We find him a successful professional man with an assured reputation or perhaps at the head of a large commercial establishment employing many men, or perhaps a farmer owning and cultivating hundreds of acres of land. We find the second boy, grown now to be a man, working for perhaps a dollar or a dollar and a half a day, and living from hand to mouth in a rented house. When we remember that both boys started out in life equal-handed, we may be tempted to remark that the first boy has been fortunate, that fortune has smiled on him, and that the second boy has been unfortunate. There is no such nonsense as that. When the first boy saw a thing that he knew he ought to do, he did it, and he kept rising from one position to another until he became independent. The second boy was an eye-servant who was afraid that he would do more than he was paid to do. He was afraid that he would give 50 cents worth of labor for 25 cents. He watched the clock, for fear that he would work one minute past 12 o'clock at noon and past 6 o'clock at night. He did not feel that he had any responsibility to look out for his employer's interests. The first boy did a dollar's worth of work for 50 cents. He was always ready to be at the store before time. And then when the bell rang to stop work, he would go to his employer and ask him if there was not something more that ought to be done that night before he went home. It was this quality in the first boy that made him valuable and caused him to rise. Why should we call him fortunate or lucky? I think it would be much more suitable to say of him, he is responsible. And as we get closer and closer to the end of the book, this chapter is perhaps my favorite chapter in the book. And it's titled, this lesson is titled Getting On in the World. And first I want to read to you this bit right here. You should be continuously on the lookout for opportunities to improve yourselves in your present work. You should be constantly on the lookout for chances to make yourself more valuable to your present employer and more efficient in your work for him. So, I I read that just to set the context here uh, for what I'm about to read to you here. In whatever you're doing, there are a great many improvements which you want to become acquainted with. If your work is dairying, Read the dairy journals. Get hold of every book or paper that you can which has anything to do with your line of work. Be sure that you know all, or as nearly as possible all, there is to be known about milking cows. And then, don't be content with what you get out of books and newspaper, for that information is only the result of some other person's experience. By conser- by conversing with intelligent and experienced persons, And by your own experiments, you can get much valuable information about your work. Never get to the point where you're ashamed to ask somebody else for information. The ignorant man will always be ignorant if he fears that by asking for information, he will betray his lack of knowledge. And so I'm going to pause there. And the reason why is that I wrote a note that this reminded me of advice that David Ogilvie gives out on how to become informed. And so, for some context, I mentioned in passing and in the past episodes that one of my favorite podcasts is uh, called Founders Podcast. And this is, podcast is actually where I got a lot of influence for this own podcast, uh, for what I'm trying to do here. And what, the, why I admire Founders Podcast is that the host, David Senra, he reads a biography a week, particularly focused on individuals who are entrepreneurs, who have started something of notable, and does a marvelous job in extracting the wisdom and extracting the lessons learned from founders and entrepreneurs. And one person that he's covered in the past is by a guy named uh, David Ogilvy. He's a peculiar individual. He's a well-known individual in that he started the advertising agency Ogilvie and Mather, and the details of his firm aren't that important. What I think is important is that he has a lot to he has a lot of wisdom to share in how to become effective in your own line of work that we can learn from. So on the Founders podcast, David Sender, the host, has covered this book, Confessions of an Advertising Man by David Ogilvy. And I want to read to you this passage from one of the chapters at the very end. And this chapter is called how to rise to the top of the tree, advice to the young. And so these are words from David Ogilvie, which, and the reason why I'm reading will make a ton of sense to you in just a minute. From David Ogilvie. If you go straight into an advertising agency after leaving the Harvard Business School, conceal your arrogance and keep up your studies. After a year of tedious training, you will probably be made an assistant account executive, a sort of midshipman. The moment that happens... Set yourself to becoming the best informed man in an agency on an account to which you are assigned. If, for example, it is a gasoline account, read textbooks on the chemistry, geology, and distribution of petroleum products. Read all the trade journals in the fields. Read all the research reports and marketing plans that your agency has ever written on the product. Spend Saturday mornings in service stations pumping gasoline and talking to motorists. Visit your client's refineries and research laboratories. Study the advertising of his competitors. At the end of your second year, you will know more about gasoline than your boss and you will be ready to succeed him. Most of the young men in agencies are too lazy to do this kind of homework. They remain permanently superficial. And so I pulled out those words and those lessons from David Ogilvy because it's striking that and so that th- those that's actually from I, th- I believe it was uh, written in 1965 and the words that we heard just a bit ago from Booker T were in 1902 so 60 plus years of difference and yet both of these men both of these individuals are saying the same exact thing in that if you want to do something great you have to go far beyond what most people go on to do what the average individual does. And so if you want to avoid being permanently superficial, it takes a lot of work. It takes you reading voraciously, trying to get a hold of every book, every paper that you can related to the line of your work. It takes a lot of conversations. It takes a lot of in-depth research. It takes a lot of primary research. It takes a lot of questioning, and it takes a lot of work that the average individual just isn't going to do. And I loved when I encountered these words from Booker T because it was um, energizing to hear the same words articulated by David Ogilvie. And I imagine this same lesson we'll hear in the future as we study more individuals and as we study more wisdom as well. Okay, and now back to the book from Booker T. Know all there is to be known about the position you occupy, but ever feel there is more for you to learn. There is no person who makes himself of so little in the world as the one who feels he knows all there is to be known about his work. If you are milking cows and you feel that you know all there is to be known about that subject, you have simply reached a point where you are practically useless and unfitted for the work. Feel that you can always learn something from somebody else. It is a mark of intelligence to learn even from the humblest person. I do not mean for you to always put into practice every suggestion that is made to you or agree with every statement that is made to you, but listen to what people say, weigh their plans alongside your own, and then profit by the one which you are most convinced is the best. Persevere in such conversation and in reading. You will constantly be surprised to find how little you really know about your work and how much more somebody else knows about it than you do. I love that. I, I just, that got me just so fired up. And it, it got me even fired up just being able to connect those lessons from two different individuals decades apart in completely different circumstances. Here you have one individual by Booker T teaching students at the Tuskegee Institute, one of the first universities that was started in Alabama for black students. And then separately in a completely different circumstance. You have David Ogilvy, in a much more commercialized setting and a commercialized tone talking to Harvard graduates on the value of going deep and embodying the same lessons, both individuals embodying the same lessons It got me just so fired up. And also it got me fired up in that in a way it exposes my own efforts and, and exposes to what degree I'm being superficial and these, these words just felt like a splash of cold water and uh, it felt like a mirror being held up and it's helped me question my own um, efforts as to whether I'm doing the appropriate amount of research for this, for this podcast in an effort to collate, collect wisdom to share. Okay, the last place we'll end on is a lesson titled A Penny Saved. And these are some practical lessons that, Booker T imparts on us on the value of saving money. So let's jump in. First, the people who succeed are very largely those who learn to economize time in ways that I have referred to, and those who also learn to save not only time, but money. And before we get to this next point, there are multiple points throughout this book where Booker T encourages his students on the importance of buying a home as early as they're able. And this has This lesson has come up several times throughout these um, um, recitals or these um, talks that he has with these students. It seems like it's a core part of his belief that every individual should go out and, and and buy a house as soon as they're able to. And so with that in mind, this next point from Booker T: The possession of a decent house ensures us a certain amount of proper comfort. No person can do the best work can think well, can get along well, unless he has a certain amount of comfort, and I may add a certain amount of good nourishing food well cooked. The person who is not sure where he is going to get his breakfast, or the one who is not sure where he is going to get the money to pay his next week's board, is the individual who cannot do the best work, whether the work be physical, mental, or spiritual. The possession of money enables us to be sure that we are going to have comfortable clothing. Clothing enough to keep the body warm and vigorous, and in good, healthy condition. Money not only enables us to get upon our feet in these material directions, but it has another value. The getting of it develops foresight on our part. People cannot get money without learning to exercise forethought, without planning today for tomorrow, this week for the next week, and this year for the next year. People cannot get hold of money or at least cannot get hold of it who have not learned to exercise self-control. They must be able to say no. The possession of money, the having of a bank account, even if small, gives us a certain amount of self-respect. An individual who has a bank account walks through a street so much more erect. He looks people in the face, the people in the community in which he has confidence in him, and a respect for him they would not have if he did not possess the bank account. And a little further, I like to see people comfortably and neatly dressed, but there is no sadder sight than to see young men and women yielding to the temptation to spend all they earn upon clothes. Then, when they die, in many cases, somebody has to pass around a hat to take up a collection in order that they may be decently put away. Do not make that mistake. Resolve that no matter how little you may earn, you will put a part of the money in the bank. If you earn $5 a week, put $2 in the bank. If you earn $10, save four of them. Put the money in the bank, let it stay there. When it begins to draw interest, you will find that you will appreciate the value of money. And lastly, we cannot get upon our feet as a people until we learn the saving habit, until we learn to save every nickel every dime, and every dollar that we can spare. And that's where we'll end it. You listen to the words of Booker T. Washington from Character Building. If you like what I'm trying to do with this podcast, which is to collect the wisdom of individuals across time, collect lessons from various disciplines, and you want to support this podcast, there's two ways. One way you can support it is if you're interested in reading this book, if you go to the show description in your podcast player, you'll see a link to the book. And by clicking on the link, you'll be taken to a, an Amazon affiliate link. And if you were to purchase this book at no additional cost to you, I would get a small portion of the fee and it doesn't cost you any extra. I think it's something like 50 to 80 cents. So it's a pretty negligible way of uh, essentially tipping me for the work that I do for this podcast. Another way, and this is probably the most important way that you can support this podcast, is if you can take the time to leave a review either on Apple Podcasts or even rate the podcast on other podcast players that you're using, if it's on Spotify or elsewhere, that would mean a lot. It would also help get the word out about this podcast. And until next time, thank you so much.